I am Brother Cornell West, and this is If I Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. On this episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, one of my favorite intersections, hip hop therapy. Social worker and artist J.C. Hall breaks down how hip hop can heal the wounds we can't always see. My name is Manny Faces. Let's go. The thing about hip hop uh, today is it's smart. It's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Peace and love, everyone. It's your friendly neighborhood hip hop advocate, Manny Faces. And this is Hip Hop Can Save America, aka the world's smartest hip hop podcast. But wait, before we get started, who the hell are you? <laughs> See, I'm trying to learn more about exactly who's listening to this show. There are thousands of you, but I'd like to know all of you a little bit better. So if you love what we do, please feel free to shoot an email to podcast at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. Just say hi or suggest a guest or a topic. Invite me to speak somewhere. Sprinkle praise all over me. I love it. Whatever. Shouts to folks who have already reached out. Amy New, Joe and Toby Gorniak and Street Factory, uh, Squish One, Tamar B. Uh, I really appreciate hearing directly from each and every one of y'all. Now, on to the episode. Prior to the pandemic, and at the insistence of one of our prior guests, Dr. Elliot Gann, I visited Mott Haven Community High School in the Bronx to see J.C. Hall's Hip Hop Therapy Studio program in action. This full-fledged recording studio was filled with students, all hanging out after school to craft, rehearse, and record music and spoken word. They were engaged, excited, and bursting with creative brilliance. Now, on the surface, you might think this was just a music class, an extracurricular club. Now, in some ways, it was, but it's so much more than that. See, this is what hip-hop therapy can look like. The concept and the program were showcased in the award-winning documentary short Mott Haven, exploring how this work was able to so effectively address grief and trauma in the wake of a school tragedy. And after having seen just a taste during my own visit, I wasn't surprised in the least. So, after way too much time, I finally reached out to kick it with J.C. Hall about the program. Hall is a 2020 Jefferson Award winner for outstanding public service related to this work. He broke it down about how the worlds of hip-hop and therapy can and should combine. Now, if you ask me, healing never sounded so good. So, remember your homework, my friends. One, please shoot me an email at podcast at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. And two, tell at least two people about the show. Someone who loves hip-hop culture and would love to hear about how it's helping improve humanity. And maybe someone who you think would say that hip-hop has no place in educational or therapeutical settings. We're here for them all. Now, here's my talk with J.C. Hall. All right, my man, J.C. Hall. Long overdue. Glad to have you here. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. We're back in the, we're back in the mix, but life is totally different. <laughs> mm. uh, 
So I'm eager to hear everything about your work and uh, particularly how it may have changed and had to pivot and getting back to business and all the things. First and foremost, I gave everyone a little rundown of, of who you are and and why it's important that you know we're we're here together. If you could, in your word, I don't like to read people's bios and, and not give them the chance to you know present themselves to the world the way they present themselves to the world. So please, if you could, just real quick, you know your name, rank, serial number, who you are, and how you <laughs> and how you face the world. No, I feel you, man. Yeah, my name is J.C. Hall. I'm a hip-hop artist and therapist. I am a social worker at a transfer school in the South Bronx. And uh, yeah, where I've, I've built a recording studio. I run a hip-hop therapy studio program there for the past eight years. Yeah, just, you know, super psyched to be here and, and you know, happy to get into it. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, I tell I, I do some speaking. One of the talks that I do or one of the situations I find myself in is uh, I talk about hip hop and technology, right? So I talk mm-hmm. about hip hop and hacking. I talk to like hackers or we do these hackathons or we introduce young people to computer programming through hip hop. I work with the folks at Breakbeat Code and Hip Hop Hacks. Cool stuff. And I got a friend of mine and my friend is 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 a tech geek. We used to be on the IBM computers and you know in the early whatevers. I'm going to date myself. We were on BBSs. We were doing all the nerdy computer stuff, but he's not connected to hip hop at all. Hmm. He understands he has a little bit of cursory knowledge as you know many citizens do. So he knows what hip hop is in his mind and he knows what tech is, but he couldn't quite grasp the concept of how they intersect in these really innovative ways. Hmm. So I want to just start with the basics to someone who not, might not be familiar with the same kind of intersection. When you say hip hop therapy, hmm. it's not hip hop and therapy it's not hip it's hip hop therapy as yes. a thing that exists yes can you give the rundown of what that means to someone who uh, similarly knows what each of those things mean separately but don't understand how they are put together no absolutely it's it's so hip hop therapy was first originated by my late mentor RIP Dr. Edgar Tyson back in 96 his first foundational paper he put out was was 2002 and essentially what he was doing was incorporating hip hop culture into a clinical setting right so recognizing these inherently cathartic components built within the culture itself something that the communities that birthed it have been utilizing from day one, right? These expressive elements and right. seeing it as a culture, right? In, in incorporating each element and not not just the use of rap music, even though that was kind of a, that tends to be the main thing used based upon, I guess, client interest or whatever, but there's still plenty of space and a lot of work needs to be done in terms of further highlighting the therapeutic capacities of, you know, graffiti, break-in, because it was the culture as a whole that right. was a response to, you know, systemic forms of oppression that helped you know, serve as a form of resilience and resistance. So basically it it's the overlap, right? The intersection, like you right. said, of these inherently cathartic components built within the culture into more traditional therapeutic settings, right? So combining hip hop culture with psychotherapy, right? So these things like cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative mm-hmm. therapy, solution focused, and the way he conceptualized it and the way it's evolved since, it's a sample-based approach, right? Much like okay. the music evolved, it takes these traditional methods that might not be very culturally relevant or reflective, you know, because the traditional critique of therapy is just like it's super Eurocentric and isn't necessarily catering to cultural differences. And so by in that sense, it's uh, hip hop therapy is like a culturally adapted intervention or approach to mm. psychotherapy. But so it's, it's sample based in that sense where it's like, oh, I'll take a little bit of CBT in here that, that, uh, that applies narrative, huge storytelling in hip hop. Take a bit of that, a bit of the music therapy, the poetry therapy, um, drama therapy, all the expressive arts and elements and incorporating that through the, uh, the lens of hip hop culture, right? So it's centered around hip hop culture and incorporating uh, these therapeutic modalities through that. Right. Listeners of the show and obviously people in the field, educators, therapists, counselors, school counselors, understand the the idea of culturally relevant pedagogy. And that's a big foundational thing. On a very layman's way of looking at it, it's the whole concept of meeting the kids where they are or meeting people where they are in that you are respecting their foundational culture, their way of seeing the world, their way of speaking, acting, being, behaving perspectives, and incorporating that into the thing, education or counseling. Is this groundbreaking? I mean, like, I guess now it's it's not a burgeoning field. This has all been worked out over the decades, but it still seems really basic. It, really, <laughs> it seems simple. And it's like a lot of work had to be done to make it 
part of the institutions, yeah? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, and I was talking about this recently with Brittany Williams, a couple other dope uh, therapists, you know, talk, yeah. discussing barriers to hip hop therapy, right? Because it emerging in the, in the 90s, you know, that's, that seems like, damn, we're a couple decades deep. Like, what's the holdup? Why is this not, yes. you know, yes. why is this not recognized? <laughs> and there being a, you know, a kind of a two-sided battle. I think there's plenty of stigma associated with therapy, a lot of lack of understanding around what is therapy, and and then a lot of lack of understanding about what is, what is hip-hop. hip-hop. How yeah. could that be utilized therapeutically? A lot of the work I've been doing is just, you know, really defining terms has been a big piece, right? Is, you know, because hip hop therapy at some point, I think it's been thrown around kind of loosely and appropriated in some instances and not like, not accurately depicted. And I think there's that, that aside from ethics, right? Put ethics aside. I think that interferes with the burgeoning, like you said, or the the moving forward of the movement, because if we can't all agree by a definition, right? Mm. Or or even have some kind of basic conceptualization, how are we as a movement going to move forward? So that, that's a big piece of the work and a big piece of- Muddies the water a little bit. hundred percent, hundred percent. Interesting. Okay. So that's inside baseball for people in the field trying to figure it out. Tell me about what this looks like in practice. You, I've, I've actually walked into your space. Yeah, uh, and I will never forget it. It's, uh, it's one of those things that you know sticks with me. It probably sticks with any parent or school administrator or teacher and student that walks into that space. Tell me about your space. Tell me, and and we'll pretend that last year didn't happen. Mm. first so we'll set the we'll set the baseline <laughs> absolutely what, what were you doing before covid in the classroom talk about your school and uh, and, and what you do yeah, and I wish I had more time to talk to you too, because I when you walked in, I was like mid session and running around frantic. So, but I was, I was appreciative you came. So yeah, over the course of these past eight years, the studios really evolved. We started in like a storage closet initially, moved to a bigger space, and then now we're in a third space where it's an L shaped room. So one side of it is the recording side where you have the recording booth, state of the art equipment, you know, like Neumann U eighty seven, Avalon VT seven thirty seven. I mean, that's kind of technical, but Pro Tools, all that. The other wing is the- We, uh, we, we, we talk tech here. It's okay. Okay. It's all, all right. right. Dope. We, yeah, we nerd out here if we have dope, to. Dope, man. Dope. Yeah. And then the the other wing in the L shape is uh the production wing, right? Where you have the turntables, the beat pads. Dr. Ellie again from Today's Future Sound hooked me up with Ableton and getting some equipment donated. So we have a production bar where you kind of pull up, you know, four students at a time pull up and can bang yeah. out on the beat pad and really trying to engage youth through different elements of the culture. You know, because some youth might come in and be super verbal and want to engage and speak and, and others, you know, their way of communicating might be more banging out on the beat pads and, and nonverbal approaches, you know? Right. So, so trying to incorporate the various elements of the expressive arts therapy, right? The, the intermodal approach, trying to engage them in that and incorporate that as much as possible. Because it, again, it's not just, it's not just the rapping that is, is therapeutic. Yeah. And I was going to ask, this exactly leads perfectly to my question. Some people would say, well, that sounds great. You have an extracurricular activity, right? Because it's, it's an after-school program. Or, yeah. uh, and I understand that I've talked to a lot of educators are like, we get it where you can. And sometimes it starts out like we have to share a lunch period you know, with this. And you, But you get a good block of time now. I think over the years, uh, the school has been supportive and recognizes yeah. uh, that. And that doesn't always happen. So shouts to, uh, to, to the administration for allowing this. This sounds like a great extracurricular activity for kids to play around with music, learn music, you know, learn music formation, learn how to build songs, build beats, all that stuff. That's cool for music. How does that help them with their lives? 100%. And I appreciate that question because a lot of people have that opinion, right? A lot of people mm-hmm. see therapy as something where you it needs to be painful all the time. You need to be crying for it to be, you'd be doing any right. work. You know, they walk by and they see kids smiling and jumping around and bopping mm. in unison. That's not therapy. That's just a club. You know what I mean? Right. And right. so- Why they not laying on the couch? Yeah. Why they not? <laughs> exactly. Again, back <laughs> right. to the cultural relevance piece, right. right? You know, so yeah, during the day, individ- or the individual sessions, after school every single day, 2.30 to 6, so these group sessions, right? Right. Now- you can't have a conversation about these kids' lives without discussing trauma, doing whatever we can to encourage traumatic processing, especially in an educational setting, right? Because a, a huge hindrance, you know, from a neurobiological perspective of engaging and learning, right? The, the higher order thinking in the, the neocortex of the brain, 
a lot of youth are coming in dysregulated because they've been exposed to complex trauma, whether it's neighborhood violence, abuse, neglect, involvement in the foster care system, juvenile justice system. They're coming in and they're they're on edge. And I, I you know, everybody might have this experience to an extent where you you know something's off, you know, and, and how are you gonna sit in a classroom with Rose when you're in fight or flight freeze mode and you're mm. worried about the person behind you and what they're doing and mm. you wanna have your back against the wall? You're not learning when you're in that state. You're dysregulated. And basically what happens is the upper echelon of the brain, the neocortex kind of shuts down, right? And you go to more primitive, like that reptilian, that fight, flight, reactive, right? So no right. no learning is going to occur until there's some sort of regulation in the first place, right? And I don't know, I don't believe educators or educational systems in general take that into consideration as much as they should. So providing the space, A, for regulation and also the importance of co-regulation, right? A lot of these traumas don't exist in individual interpersonal. They're not simply interpersonal, right? With just one person. A lot of these are collective traumas. These are, you know, racial trauma and a generational trauma. So collective healing, you know, to address collective trauma, you need some sort of approach to collective healing where it can be done in groups, right? I'm not saying that individual is not important, but to be able to have a, a healing process within the group exchange, right? There's a bit of a holding environment created where we're supporting each other, right? We're feeding off each other. We're mirroring for each other. And in the process, developing emotional attunement, right? Social Mm. attunement, social skills, you know, ways to express yourself accurately. And through the artistic process, from my personal experience, I believe as you grow as an artist, you're also growing as a person because you're becoming much better at expressing yourself accurately, right? And engaging with others others. You need to be able to read the crowd. You need to be able right. to like, see, am I, you know, is what I'm spitting hitting right now? Or is this just, you know, so I got, you have to adapt. You have to know how to navigate societal structures or even just groups in general, mm. and also know how to, as an artist, you need to know how to accurately portray how you're feeling, right? Like if I'm, if I'm writing something I'm super passionate about and I go in the booth and I'm starting to spit and I'm spitting it all monotone. I really care about <laughs> this. It's not translating. It's not effective communication, right? So you're learning effective communication skills. So not just identifying, you know, the emotions like emotional awareness, Mm. but also the expression piece and same with social awareness, you know, providing that and also social skills, social development. I think in education, it's kind of, it's SEL is what they're referring to. And in in psych, it's social emotional development, you know, go, and that's in the adolescent stage, man, that's what you're going through. I mean, these are, these are life skills, essentially, translatable to every, (laughs) right, right, right. So you're learning all this while you're smiling and bopping around and not nodding your head. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's a fine way to learn. You know, why not? You don't have to learn bored, stressed, as you pointed out. That's a, uh, the great way to blend perspective when you come from uh, certain circumstances that are difficult. And then you got to sit in a classroom. We've talked to a number of hip hop educators that also remind us that schools could be very structured and and too many rules where you walk into a classroom. Not only after you have to worry about all the things that you pointed out, which I thought was brilliant, but you can't be the way you are. We, we don't behave that way in the yes. classroom. We don't, but we don't, you know, beatbox, you know, walking into the classroom. We don't bang on the desk, you know, when we're nervous. No, cut that out. You're making noise yep. when we know. And I think uh, you would attest to this, that sometimes that repetitive pattern is sort of a, a stress relief, right? You hit it on the head, man. Repetitive and especially in traumatic, in, in trauma treatments, right? And, and the literature is very clear. There is a huge emphasis on, as Dr. Bruce Perry puts it, right? He's kind of a expert in that, in that field of, of trauma research. And he discusses repetitive patterned activity, right? Hip hop rapping that it, it's, it's rhythm, right? And, and what's so right. powerful that, about that is it's regulating. It helps calm the nervous system and bring you out of that fight or flight state right. so that now we can engage as two individuals again. As opposed to running, I'm running from a lion. You know what I mean? That kind of, <laughs> right. and now we can engage and meet as genuine people, which is where a lot of the therapeutic exchange actually occurs, right? It's in that middle, that middle ground of relationship and then right. reasoning, those higher order of thinking, thinking skills. But you can't engage in CBT, these cognitive behavioral discussions. If, if someone can't even get past like seeing you as strictly, you're the enemy. You represent right. the enemy. You are not on right. my side. Right. Right. And and that's part of the problem. That's part of the thing you're solving. Trying to, man. Yeah. Well, okay. No, no, you're doing it. Two things that come to mind in an analogy for, again, the layman, the folks outside. I love to try to translate this stuff. Y'all write papers and stuff. I don't, I don't write papers and, and, you know, but I do tell people 
talk to my people that write the papers. They're really smart. They know this stuff. And two things. One of them is you talk about the repetitive patterns. And if people want to understand what that's like, remind them that they go to YouTube and listen to lo-fi hip hop, the lo-fi hip hop channel when they want to get some work done. Mm, great right. Point. And you just, you hear those beats, those kind of mellow lo-fi beats and they kind of bring you down. They regulate you as you might mm-hmm. say. And we have that on in the background and we do our work. And that's one of the most popular YouTube channels for that reason. The second is when you talk about a collective approach to therapy, it reminds me of church. Mm. Right. It reminds me of the thing you get with fellowship. Yes. You don't just get the word of God and all. I'm not a religious guy, but I'm you know, I know enough of how it works. Hundred <laughs> percent. I know what you know on paper, on th- in theory. But that fellowship and you know, that that community, that knowing you have people that you could rely on, hmm. that uh common kind of energy. Well, we 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 go to church for that. And we get that from church because church is respectful of who we are, uh, where we come from, our cultural differences. We may go to a church of like-minded folk and, and feel comfortable and safe there. That's the kind of kind of the same thing you're talking about, yeah? Yeah, man. I think that's a very – I think Saul Williams said once is dope, one of my favorite spoken word poets. Yes. He, he In one of his lines is about listening – about hip-hop and nodding heads in communion. Right. Mm. So this idea of like, you know, when you get in a church or, a pu- you know, and even seeing the booth as a confessional confession booth, I think there's a lot of overlap there, even in the imagery and ex- exactly how you put it. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me, give me a specific, I know, obviously we're not going to tell people's names and exact situations or For things sure. like that, but in, you know, anecdotally, if someone is to be like, you know, what's an example of your work that has stood out that made you realize that, yeah, this works, this is it, this is so obvious. Yeah, I'm sure you have plenty. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. I mean, and I, I could go with one, you know, that people that I've kind of gone with. And so, it, you know, won't be like releasing any yeah, sensitive yeah. info. But yeah, for me personally, right, hip hop's always been therapy, therapeutic for me. You know what I mean? It's been like therapy right. for me. So I, I know it works, right? But in terms of engaging youth with it, there was one individual, he was, he was, uh, in the documentary Mott Haven. I don't know if you've gotten to check that out, but- I know of it. I haven't sat with it yet and I was going to ask you about it, so- Got yes. you, got you. So mm-hmm. so he, I think the moment I realized how much it, it meant what I was doing to him in particular, right? To this one individual in particular, we had been recording as a group. This was back 2013 when I first was getting it going. There was three of us. He didn't get to record that day. It was a Friday. We ended. He was super bummed he didn't get to record. I told him, yo, Monday, that's your day. You can have that. That's your day. You guys, you know, you agree? The others were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all yours, man. All super psyched. Goes home, super excited about it. Weekend rolls around, either a Saturday, I think a Saturday. He goes out with some of his friends, right? He's just walking down the street in the Bronx. One of his friends side eyes another group of kids. Basically, some words get exchanged. The, the, the people he was with who initiated ran and left him alone. He got jumped and stabbed 10 times. Got poked up 10 times, punctured his lung, mm. kidney, spleen, right? Mm. So he's basically laying there in a puddle of blood and a random bystander happens to stop by, call an ambulance, barely saves his life, right? Like mm. hear, hearing him tell the story, I'm never going to do it justice, right? But it was a, right. you know, it was a moment that didn't make it into the film, but, but when he was being interviewed, right? And, and what he told me when he finally came back, because that was months of rehabilitation, you know yeah. what I mean? Months of rehabilitation. And then also, not to mention the, the trauma initiated by that, right? But when, when he woke up in the hospital bed, he describes, right? He literally just almost lost his life. His first thought when he woke up was, damn, I'm not going to have my Monday. I'm not going to have my Monday. Wow. That was the first thought. You know what I mean? And hearing him say that and tell that story, man, for me, was a whole nother level, man, where it really hit me of like, you know, like, and that's what hip hop has been for me. So I, yeah. I've, I've, I've lived that, but never to that, that sort of extent where the first thought isn't like, yo, thank God I'm alive. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just like, or, 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 or where the hell am I? You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, damn, I'm right. not going to get to record. You know what I mean? And then, and then when he came back, you know, engaging him in the, the process of, of processing that trauma through lyric writing, through rapping, recording, performing through those processes, it, it helped steer him, I think, away from maybe a more retaliatory mindset of I'm getting mm. revenge. I know where these, these mm. kids are at. And now I'm more focused in 
He wrote us up healing and feeling. We all just dealing, praying for the realest, hope for forgiveness. Like he he wrote a whole song called Heaven's Gates about his experience. And this was something he started on his own in the hospital bed, writing and processing this, talking about, you know, almost dying, the 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 spiritual awakening. Wow. You know what I mean? And then having a, a space where that's supported in therapy. We're sitting there in an individual setting and mm. able to really flesh that out, go through the details. Cause in effective hip hop, effective creative writing, you're using sensory information. You're not just telling people, you're showing them. You're describing mm. the scene, right? Right. Right. And and so what you're doing when you're attempting to process a trauma is be able to attack these sensory fragments, these things that weren't naturally processed. You know what mm. I mean? That that kind of get left behind, right? When you're when right. you're traumatized, that end up triggering people and initiating flashbacks, right? So when you're going through the actual sensory modality and implementing like this specific feeling, each bar had something like even a bar about losing his balance. Cause when he got, when he got home, he had to walk around with a cane for a couple months because one of the stabs w- was in his leg and left some, mm. some damage there. So, t- so the meta and the metaphor about catching his footing and, and finding a way to kind of do that in, in a brilliant, brilliant way. You know what I mean? But also mm. in the process, sorting through that traumatic experience and rewriting the narrative, being able to find some sort of strength in it, right? It's not okay what happened to him. It will never be okay. But he was able to find some sort of positive within that in the sense of this has woken me up and this has changed my viewpoint. And this has inspired me to be a better me and to live life to the fullest. And all of that occurring through the songwriting process, the recording process, but even more so the performing process getting on a stage of his peers mm. and performing that out to people that's that's a whole nother level of healing because you're not just doing it privately on your own one-on-one it goes right. back to that collective healing where you're being witnessed a story doesn't exist without the witness right so right. being able to get on stage command the stage sing and rap this experience and move around and have a whole skit there's a whole skit around it, you know, like we had like, yeah, all kinds of extra modalities that involve movement and visual art and all that right. to process it, to be able to retake control of his narrative, you know what mm. I mean? And, and move forward as a result. And and the the implications of empowerment around that cannot be underestimated. Wow. I mean, you know, again, to use the analogy, it's testimony. Yes. You know what I mean? It's a form of testimony and 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 and, and what that could do to someone else who might be faced with similar situations that in, that influence that positive influence mm. from someone that was engulfed in violence, right? Mm. Someone that was engulfed in this situation lives a life that you know has these difficulties, and then you might look at them and say, "I mean, we we we." I'm not even going to mention specifics because by the time this thing airs, there'll be another specific where mm. we see that you know there were young people engaged in violence that were met by law enforcement or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're engaged in violence, but that does not mean that they're inherently violent. They're not inherently able to turn these things into learning experiences, have awakening moments and spread that gospel. Mm. Oh, I'm full of analogies tonight. Yeah, man. I'm loving it. You know what I mean? And preach that gospel to the un to the unconverted. Yeah. Uh, so that's an amazing story. And going uh, off going off that tip, I just want to say like the ritualistic element of that performance piece, right? Like it's okay. like a, it's like a rite of passage. At the end of every year, we have this annual showcase. Wow. Right? So it's kind of a moment of getting, and it, it's ritualized in a sense. And that just goes back to what you were saying about religion or spirituality and the importance of rituals and rites of passage. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's all in there. It's all well, it's all in hip hop. Yes. And 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 therefore it can all be in uh hip hop's approach to yes. therapy, to education, to counseling, all these things. On that note, I love that when I asked you how you present yourself to the world, titles are important to me. I appreciate PhDs and and master's degrees, and I appreciate my I'm, I'm the son of a distinguished professor of sociology. So of course I went to school for 20 minutes. <laughs> but you know, because the shoemaker's son has no shoes. It's just the way of the world. Mm-hmm. But I respect the educational practice. I, I I respect the hell out of people who are out there educating educators, doing all the things. But you started off and said, I'm a hip hop artist. That's how mm-hmm. you started. Yes. So which came first, I guess, the the hip-hop chicken or the therapy pursuit egg? Oh, oh, hip-hop, first and yeah. foremost, man. Yeah, even, you know, as early as third grade, I was I was getting into to Big Pun. And, and I think I Where'd would you say- grow up? Where'd you grow up? Long Island. Oh, where yeah, at? Yeah, uh, Nassau County, Port Come Washington. Come on, man. Yeah. Bro, I'm, I grew up in Westbury. 
No shit. Yeah, man. I'm a Long yeah, Island no, boy. Yeah, I went to a, a treatment center in Westbury, man. Uh, oh, wow. An, an outpatient okay. thing. And then a couple <laughs> of homies went to school there. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm very familiar with Westbury, I man. I grew up in Westbury. Yeah, man. The Berry. Yeah, man. That's so dope. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, I mean, hip hop's a huge part of uh, Long Island culture. I mean, uh, I, hell yeah. especially, you know, you know, in Nassau and, you know, the whole black belt, right? That idea of in the right. golden era of, of hip hop. Yeah, man. So hip hop for me, first and foremost, I was drawn to, I think the first was uh, Lauren Hill, The Score, that album with the Fugees. Mm. I, I must have been in like third or fourth grade and was just blown away by the capacity yeah. to say so much in such little space. Like, And right. that's what I think is so beautiful about hip hop and what helps differentiate it from other musical art forms, right? Yep. Is that when you're rapping, you have the ability to say so much more in much less of space. Now, granted, yeah. you know, it's about quality over quantity, but when you have a quantity of quality, you can say a lot in that song. And so mm. I was always, you know, I was always really invested in the language arts and loved language and poetry. I was writing poems as like a little kid. So hip hop to me was, I just grew up on it. It was very natural. Yeah. And then I didn't take a stab at becoming an artist though, until I started struggling with my own mental health problems. You know, when I started struggling with addiction, depression, mm. and started going through that at 15 is when I first picked up a pen. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's okay. because somewhere inherently, innately, I found a life vest in that in a way mm. that I didn't find it anywhere else, right? Because it's one thing to listen and resonate, but it's another thing to actively engage in the culture and participate. And And I found more <laughs> healing and, and I didn't know what it was at the time, man. I was just doing it. I found <laughs> right. more healing in the, the writing and I noticed you know, I could take all this craziness in my head and all these wild experiences and find a way to order it, structure, bring some, some method to the madness and, and organize some of this chaos. And it helped me get from day to day, you know what I mean? And it also gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a way to relate and connect with others. You know what mm. I mean? To be able to play a song and say, and someone say to me like, yo, that line's dope. I relate with that. Yo, like yeah. that coming from someone who's tremendously depressed, suicidal, who feels completely alone, doesn't feel like anybody could ever understand. I'm terminally unique on my way out of here. And there's no, you know what I mean? And now yeah. all of a sudden I can connect and vibe with somebody and build a community around it. So I was rapping with all my homies and, and you know, that was, that kept me afloat for a while. Right. But then yeah. I also, I got to a point where I needed therapy and I needed treatment centers and, you know, where hip hop got me to a certain extent, but you know, mental illness is very real and you, and you can't solely rely on, you know, at least in my experience, some sort of professional help when when you're talking about like genuine you know serious mental illness or struggling with alcoholism addiction there needs to be another level of intervention which i think again is the important of distinguishing why something is therapy or when it is and when it isn't because there's a lot of people out here who need real therapy not something that's like therapy but when i first started going to therapy i didn't relate at all man i didn't identify i would go lay on the couch like you said and go to <laughs> sleep i'll go to sleep that was my experience i would get drunk 15 years old, go sleep on my therapist's couch, go home. That was my, that was my weekly experience. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and it was because he didn't get the whole hip hop stuff. There was no right. genuine engagement. There was no, it was just like, how was your day? And I just didn't speak to him. I didn't care. I didn't want to go. I had no investment. Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't until I was forced into to, uh, a treatment center at 17 that I finally started to come around to realizing I needed help. One, that I needed help. And two, that there was hope. Because I, I always, okay. in the back of my mind, always felt like I'm dying young. This isn't, I'm not seeing 16. Like, mm. I'm not seeing 20. Hell no. You know, so, but getting there and, and, and going through and dealing with some of my, my substance abuse issues, specifically, you know, through like peer support groups and engaging in, in therapy as well, really reframed the way I looked at therapy because that was the first time I kind of, I, I, I met a therapist at that time who, had similar experiences and was able to mm. speak to me as a real dude and be like, oh yeah, I was, I was addicted to this, 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 doing this, right. this, and this, you know what I mean? And, and was right. willing to meet me as a person, not just that like blank slate, speak not to just me. A, not, not just a textbook. Yeah, uh, man. Like you know, a, a lab coat. Yeah. Not <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah. a lab coat, man. Like right. someone who was real with me, you know? And, and I started to, I think I always noticed the inherent overlaps between therapy or peer groups, right? Like 12 step groups with yeah. hip hop. If you want to consider, like you said, fellowship, community, yeah. the importance yeah. of that. And then the therapy piece, you know, the knowledge of self, 
Dr. Right. Gann says this, which is I think is brilliant. Knowledge of self and psychotherapy are like go hand in hand. And that's an <laughs> element of the culture. Like, so right. that just goes hand in hand, right? Because you really need to be willing to dig and do that soul searching if you want to be an effective artist. You need to be, yeah. you can't just say cliches and you got to get down nitty gritty. And then the healing capacity of that expressive nature of talking. We're having a con- that therapeutic dialogue and building a relationship, right? So a lot of what was occurring in therapy for me and in those support groups for me is what was occurring in hip hop. And I, so I needed right. both, you know, those, those were two things that saved my life hands down. It was yeah. hip hop first and foremost, which is why I'll always say I'm an artist first. And then therapy was also essential, at least in my personal experience and where I was at, that was also essential. So those two things mm. combined is, is why I'm here today and able to, to do what I do without even one of those. Yeah. I, no way. I wouldn't have had, maybe therapy would have helped me to an extent, but I would have had no purpose. Hip hop mm. to me has provided me purpose in a way, you know, I, just nothing else ever has. It's given me just something to live for, man. Yeah. To be real. Yeah. I hear you. What a testimony yourself, <laughs> you know, and, and I can relate. You yeah. Know? A lot of people can relate. That's the one thing about the hip hop that, that fellowship. There's a lot of people that will, that phrase, hip hop saved my life. How did that, translate from a 16 year old kid just kind of barely getting by and then and then getting touched in a good way by therapy having that hip-hop influence of knowing that there are others like you that you know we could be from all walks of life we have some of the same problems we Mm. have some of the same solutions and then how did you just go about you know turning it around and and going into the field well i would say it was a long process of slip-ups back and forth a lot of relapses you know what i mean a lot of a lot of near-death experiences (laughs) a lot of bumpings with the with the law a lot of issues but when i was 20 so i've never had a legal drink i've been clean and sober for 13 years now when i was 20 i was blessed enough to be able to get put somewhere for a year and that's kind of what I needed. I had done the halfway houses, the sober homes, three, you know, month at a time, then went for two months, then three, four months. But having somewhere that could hold me, you know, I wasn't very happy about it, but I right. knew I needed it. And, and, you know, so I, having personal experience, I think with the, the failings of our mental health system and yeah. then also the pros of it, right? Like the, the parts that do work, that sure. inspired me to want to be able to be the therapist I never had, right? To be the advocate I never had, to try to, you know, because service is a big piece of hip hop, right? Yeah. Each one teach one, and it's a big piece of therapy or tw- you know, twelve step groups, right? The right. idea of service, sure. paying it forward to keep it. You have to yeah. give it away to keep it. And I my found mother, my mother, by the way, AA member for a good part of her life. So I, I learned some dope, of those things man. through osmosis. Yeah, I yeah, get it. no, yeah. beautiful man. And so being able, that, you know, that inspired me to want to get into the mental health field. I was always pursuing my artistry and was hoping right. that would kind of like take off on its own. But I was like, I need a plan B. You know what I mean? So I got my bachelor's in psych because I was always just fascinated with psychology, the human mind. I focused per- particularly on social psych, so also groups. And then afterwards, the best job I could get, you know, this was like around the 2008 crash. And, you know, so things weren't looking great in general, but also with right. a, with a bachelor's in psychology, there's only so much you can do, man. You need a <laughs> master's or, and I didn't really right. think about any of that getting into it. I was just like, right. this is fascinating. So the best job I could get was delivering pizza, which is not to knock it. It was a dope job. I got to okay. ride around and bump beats all day, delivering pizza. That's a dope job. Yeah, uh, for sure. But so I, re- I came to the realization after about a year, like the music thing's not popping off and it's, I don't know if it's even enough. I want to do something more. I want to work with people and try to provide opportunities in a way that people were providing to me that I didn't, they didn't owe me anything, man. They didn't owe me anything, but they, they put their, their ass on the line to help me and keep, help me keep my head above water. And I owed that. I I had that responsibility. So I was intrigued by social work. You know, I strayed from psychology, which, you know, there's also that in social work, the clinical piece, but I I strayed to social work because I love the idea of being in the trenches more so like really working with the people like the, you know, kind of, yeah, directly, like kind of, you know, faith, you know, as opposed to kind of having like a a Manhattan office or something, not not to knock it, but for me, it was like, I want to work with people who need it the most, right? Or who don't have the access to these private resources, you know what I mean? And you weren't afraid to get your hands dirty. hundred percent. And and just, you know, from these, I'm from these streets. Yeah, type type (laughs) shit. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, you know, so I, I, I applied I went to Fordham for undergrad and then applied Mm. back to Fordham, the master's program for social work, which was a great program, but I was kind of hoping I wouldn't get accepted. It's the only school I applied to because I figured I know the campus. 
might as well, whatever. I kind of <laughs> hoped I, I wouldn't get accepted because I was like, I want to pursue this music stuff. And right. what this is going to mean is another like several years of putting my music on the back burner and my own artistry on the back burner. Sure. I felt like I was selling my selling myself out. And, you know, I got in and started having an existential crisis of like, yo, I don't want to do this because I was, I was going to go to be a substance abuse counselor. And uh, I, part of me too was like, yo, I've lived this. I've seen this, man. Like this is, you know, I, as much as I, I want to be invested in it, I also relapse rates are not good, man. Like it's, it's a very mm. difficult, that's very difficult work. And if, when you're seeing that daily in your personal life as well, I was kind of at a point where I was like, I don't know about this, right? Someone told me about music therapy. I was like, dope. Start looking up programs. This looks amazing. Mm. I find a couple of programs in the city. They have eligibility requirements. You have to know how to play three instruments and sing. Oh, right. I can't Juilliard do, type. I can't do any of it, you know? And, and it's <laughs> right. not even that you have to be good. You just have to know like how to play a sure. uh, piano, a keyboard, you know? So I was super upset because it was like my vision of music, right? Hip hop right. was not sure. fit inside their conceptualization. So I, now- I could, play, I could play a sampler. Yeah, yeah. And, but, <laughs> you know, so I was super yeah. upset and I, I randomly was like, you know, let me just cut out music in the music therapy on the Google search tab, put in hip hop, right? So I'm like thinking, this is stupid, man. Nothing's going to pop up. This is so, but whatever. I'm feeling pathetic, but whatever. Let me let me do the Hail Mary. So boom, you know, a uh, list of results pop up. I'm like- what? Oh, wait, this can't be real. I start scouring each and every one of them. And I keep seeing this dude, Dr. Edgar Tyson, Dr. Edgar Tyson, Tyson. And I'm like, who is this dude? And I'm reading all of his research papers. And I'm like, yo, this isn't just like a coined phrase. Like there's research behind this and there's like right. the legitimate studies behind this. I, I'm like, I need to contact this dude and f- find him somehow, some way. And so I, I Google him. Turns mm. out he's a professor at the one school in the whole world that I'd applied to and was about to begin that fall he taught at mm. fordham university the wow. graduate school of social services man so, wow. I, so i reached out we connected on a very personal note he was my professor for a couple awesome classes and then eventually moved on from a mentorship to a close friendship and, and a collaboration we were working closely together you know more towards the end you know up until he passed in 2018 working on a textbook he asked me to to co-author with them and contribute some chapters i think i just gave you the really long story to your question I like the long story. Okay, it's cool. Very, yeah, it's very inspirational, and it's 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 meandering, and mm. you know, it's it's never the the. I wasn't you. I posted a post last night. I'm I'm an artist. As in the in the immortal words of Erica Badu, mm. I'm an artist. I'm sensitive about my. Sh- Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I go on last night, and you know, I worked really hard yesterday, and you know all the creative stuff that I do, and you know putting out good information, doing all the things, and then I watch like a Candace Owens video, and mm. I'm like, you know, this is what's out, there. like we doing all this good work, and then not not to say anything negative about anyone in particular, but mm. it's like this seems to be pure, you know, in your bubble propaganda, and and that's what gets so much attention. I'm like, oh, we're doing all this work, why do we even bother, right? Why mm. why do we even bother? And I put up a post, you know, one of these like kind of subliminal things on Facebook, rhetorical questions about how one minute you could be so proud of your work and mm. then the next minute say, you know, why, why do I bother? Mm. And a bunch of people responded because we, we're surrounded by creatives and this is a create, this is, this is not new to creatives. And I, it was a rhetorical question. I knew the answer. I know that, you know, it's just how it is. And then we turn it back around and we keep going. But so many people came forward. And again, it's what you said in the beginning. It's like, it reminds me I'm not alone. It mm. reminds me I'm not crazy. They know that now they have me to relate to and we're all cool. And someone put up this very common meme that you may have seen. And it says like, what people think the path to success is. And it's like a straight line. And mm. it goes, what it really is. And then the line goes up for a little bit and then squiggles, squiggles oh, all, love up it. and down, all over the place. Over the, and then it. goes up at the top. That's the truth, man. And that's what you're saying, you know, that that meandering path. But all of the things, you know, I'm at a certain age. I'm a full grown man. I call myself Manny Faces and you could give me a check in that name and I'll be able to cash it. Mm. But, you know, the fact that I didn't go to college, that I, you know, found my way into journalism, that I, you know, toiled and and made blogs and and online publications and started podcasting before podcasting was a thing and dabbled in this and failed in that and started this and stopped this and and now all that culminates into Mm. like the the person who i am and it sounds like you know all those struggles you went through those specific testimonies that you gave were the perfect storm Mm. for for where you ended up so there's value in, in long stories. I so, know. I, I love yeah. that, man. I love yeah. that. And I, I, yeah, man, that, that resonates heavy. And I think you ever reach a moment where you're kind of like, 
despite all the trauma and the struggles and the hurt and the loss and the pain, there's like those moments where you finally kind of make it and or there's a reprieve. You make it out of it. Sure. First, and it, and it's kind of like, that was, it was almost all worth it. You ever right. have those like realizations, those, you know, like, and it's, it's wild, man. Like when you're in it, that squiggly thing, like you just described, <laughs> you you don't think there's any rhyme or reason or like, right. this is all torture, you know, and, and. <laughs> You know, right. having, you know, being blessed enough to live to be able to see some sort of conclusion, man. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky, man. I'm blessed. I say, I, I always say I'm I'm the luckiest person I know, man. I, I hear that. And again, just to hear the earlier story about how, how that, that, that young uh, man going through that, that violence and then coming back and, and being touched uh, mm. again in a positive way by turning it around and having your guidance to do that is the reason, one of those, probably one of those moments for you. You know, I'm not speaking, you know, for mm. you, but it probably no, absolutely. lets you know that like that's it. And then me being able to talk to you about it. I hadn't heard that story before. I've heard many stories like it. It adds that a fuel to my fire as well that we have to get this information out mm. and let people know. So, with that in mind, very quickly, how was your school? We, we talked a little bit earlier. They're very supportive. They've let you blossom this program. Are there? I think there are other folks that maybe want to uh, investigate uh, these kind of intersections. They do therapy. They're getting interested in the field. They're like you. They're like, oh, therapy is cool, but it's like not cool, cool. How can we make it happen? There might be pushback. There's hesitation from administrations. You can go to some very conservative areas. They might not get it. What do counselors or you know, therapists, should they keep in mind? And also, if I'm a parent mm. and I got a kid that obviously every kid you know, is connected to hip hop in some way. But where you say, ah, man, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my kid into therapy. I've, I, I recognize the value of it, but I don't go to Mott Haven. Mm. Uh, you know, I, we're not here. What can I do? Those two like ideas, maybe ideas for counselors, therapists to maybe have a different perspective. And then for parents to be able to find the kind of stuff you do if they're not directly connected to you. Does that make sense? A hundred percent, man. Yeah. It's a great point. I think, you know, recently I've, I've you know, I've struggled with this personally in, in the sense of uh, I did a, a guest lecture at NYU's uh, school of social work once right and there was I, mm. I screened Mott Haven and there was a woman in the in the in the one of the students who said you know I've seen this before and I was like you sure like I don't I don't think many people have really seen this and she said I had a client working I was working in, in foster care with with foster care involved youth I live in Jersey he showed me this documentary when it was hosted on Vlad TV right like he showed me this Wow. And asked me if I could do this. And I wow. and I would like to know how to do this. And that for me was a, a, a real wake up call in terms of like, I've been so focused on just getting rec getting the recognition and people take this serious that like, I haven't prepared or built the infrastructure to where when someone starts actually comes, knocks and says, all right, show me. You know what I mean? So I was kind of like taken aback of like, wow, I need to really start focusing on training and like, and what does mm. that even look like? So I linked up with this OG expressive arts therapist recently, Kathy Malchioti does great work in the trauma field. In June, we're doing a four week training of the intersection between uh, that and expressive arts therapy and hip hop therapy leading into a 10 week uh, masterclass over the summer that I'm going to be providing and working with tons of others in the field, like, you know, Dr. Gann, Dr. Yep. Travis, Aaron Rodwin, Brittany Williams, Jackie Johnson, like all these, these people really doing the work, trying to come together and build a collective, a collaborative where we can kind of build a resource network and push this this work forward as accurately and responsibly as, as possible. So training is huge, mm. right? Because yeah, like, you know, I don't, I don't have a private practice, you know? So right. I, at the end of the day, unless you're going to the specific school that I work in, right. you know, like you can't just right now, there's no real directory where you can just research a, oh, hey, let me find a local hip hop therapist. And, <laughs> and part of that is because right. there's a lot of gray around what even is a hip hop therapist. And, and we, you yeah, know what I mean? I, I know you, you teased that in the beginning. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So there's, yeah. there's that piece. And then, but I, I think the importance is the advocacy piece, right? Like yeah. say as parents- Right, saying, "Hey, do you have any any hip hop based interventions?" Advocating for it, whether it's the youth advocating for it, advocating it, it for mental health services, because the more it's advocated for, yeah. at some point, the same as that woman whose kid had asked her, whose client had asked her about it, she would have never heard about it or even known to ask for it had it not been advocated for. So, I think yeah. pushing for it will increase the burden on us who are in the field to really start developing trainings and 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 increasing surface area so that people can be out here doing this work. And then I also think it's important, 
like when I make the distinction about therapy and therapist, my goal is not to say you can't engage youth with mental health if you're not a therapist, right? There's different avenues and lanes, right? Like, so as, as educators, you, you know, great work being done utilizing hip hop culture. It can be used in school counseling, right? Like school counselors aren't therapists, but that doesn't mean they can't utilize hip hop to engage in some sort of mental health endeavor, right? Even even Dr. Travis has this dope mental health wellness spectrum, right? Where self-care is kind of on one end mm. now and then prevent preventative work, early intervention to now more long-term intervention, long-term treatment and recovery. And uh, maybe understanding where you fall in that spectrum. And, and part of that is simply for transparency. We can't, we don't want to promise the people services that we cannot provide. Aside from it being illegal mm. or unethical, you know, some people you know, they need to be able to seek those resources if that's what they need, you know? So I think a big piece is defining and why I'm really big on definition, definition. And hey, it's already been defined. Dr. Edgar Tyson, we don't need to, you know what I mean? Like you don't gotta really- Reinvent the wheel. Yeah, Yeah. if you ask me, it's been done. I don't understand the the confusion. But, you know, in terms, but it's very important that we do that and kind of set those frames so that people know what to ask for, man. Yeah. People- Consumers are only can only get what they want as much as they are informed about what they are attempting to purchase or be right. involved in. And if we as a field can't even be clear about the services we're offering or who's qualified to offer it, mm. we're misleading them. And that's it's unethical. I got it. That is incredibly important for me. Uh, you mentioned advocacy. I am a self-appointed advocate for some of the work that you and others do. It is now been made more apparent and clear based by just what you're telling me that more care has to be taken into how we f- we frame it how we talk about it that therapy is not counseling is not you know mental health is there's 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 varying degrees there's varying for uh, sure wording and such and that's very valuable so as i always try to do i say here's the information no one should take anyone's perspective on face value out of the gate do a little dig and do Absolutely. a little research but that is very valuable uh, information for me personally, and I think for the type of people that that pay attention to, you know, mm. what I what we say, you know, collectively. No, I appreciate that. No, I I, I appreciate the appreciation. It's important distinctions uh, to be made, and it helps further the uh, discussion in a positive way. We don't like to, I don't I, I'm personally I don't know if this will make it or not. I want to make sure that we don't just say that everything that has the words hip hop in it is good for hip hop, mm. right? Everyone pray, did he open a charter school? That's great for hip hop. Mm. Unless you don't like charter schools, yeah. then maybe not so much. You know, 100%. that's the kind of, we see these things. And I think the general public who doesn't understand, you know, the the depth and breadth of, of what these things are, they want to cheer for hip hop being in new areas, but we have to be careful that it's not being used in, 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 in bad faith. Yeah. Mis- um, misappropriated. I love that point, man. Yeah. So and, and similarly with hip hop therapy, it's not to say that uh, these are bad actors, but it could because it's not a fully mature thing, right? This uh, I didn't say it's it's not burgeoning. There's been research. There's mm. been a lot of things. Uh, the hip hop education movement as a whole is very advanced. It's one of the more mature intersections, in my opinion, of hip hop. Hip hop therapy is kind of right there. There's a lot of scholarship and research, but it's not a 200 year old science it's 100%. not a you know it's not a field that totally has worked out all its kinks yet so that's an important point no absolutely and hip hop education i think even yeah it started maybe a decade or two earlier with like with dr uh, bliss Dandy hicks and so yep. that's definitely had more more movement for sure and the hip hop yeah. therapy yeah, field but you know what the, the, there'll be people in that connected to that field that there's factions yeah. you know that are gonna you know have differing opinions on how things should be done so yeah. this happens in every field of scholarship i would imagine no very uh, very fair point i guess yeah. i guess where i'm where i'm coming from is just even like the fundamental definitions like i don't yeah i don't know if i hear educators argue about what is education maybe they do i'm not an mm. educator and i'm not in that field but yeah. for me it's very kind of clear cut of like if you're not a therapist you shouldn't say you're providing therapy Got it. You know, it's so, just kind of, it's that, that to me is a fundamental foundational yep. 
point. And, and, and you see that that, that's needs, that needs to be uh, amplified. So Dr. Tyson's work, what's the seminal work that people could, if you know, looking into this, just even, I'm curious, I'm not even a therapist. I just want to know more about this. You know, you cite him very often. Where, where do people go? Please check out, actually at uh, the website I created for him after he passed to memorialize him and, and have a centralized resource with all his work. There's a tab, Tyson's work. It has literally everything linked that he's ever published. But I really want to highlight the, the foundational 2002 article his 2003 article and then his 2006 article with caroline coben is dope like you want to get a basic reference of the foundation of this work those those three articles and then i guess to wrap up unless there's anything else you want to make sure i know about you know where you sit on the interwebs where people can find you socially i know you do a a clubhouse engagement every week give the rundown for people to follow up and continue this conversation no yeah i appreciate that man yeah i would say hiphoptherapy.com. You could email me directly through that. If you want to find me on socials, it's my artist name, Phoenix, F-I-E-N-Y-X-N-Y. So Phoenix, New York. Yeah. Instagram, Twitter, all that. The clubhouse discussion has been a weekly thing. Uh, Look for the hip hop therapy club. You know, feel free to give a follow, hop in. We do uh, song analyses. We do theoretical breakdowns. It's kind of a, a, a amalgamation of a lot of the heavy hitters in the field for a weekly discussion about you know, therapeutic applications of hip hop across fields. You don't have to be a therapist. You could come in as an educator. You can come in as someone who has no previous knowledge. It's, it's, it's meant to be as kind of simple and and basic as possible and and understandable. If a uh, non-degree holding, non-educating, non-therapist guy who just does podcasts and writes some words down can be there and feel comfortable. I'm sure anyone can. So I've (laughs) I've come into the room and enjoyed it. Uh, Enjoyed the conversation. There's good folks talking about good things. It's very um, enlightening. And, And again, across the board, whether it's uh, high level ivory tower academics or parents or kids mm. or, or hip hop fans or non hip hop fans. Mm. It's a great place to kind of learn about the wonderful intersection of hip hop and therapy mm. together. I'm really impressed with everything you do. I'm glad we had a chance to really kick it. I hope that I've done your work justice by breaking it all down. You've certainly uh, given me a lot to think about and uh, I really appreciate your time. Is there anything else we haven't covered that you think you'd like to get off your, your today's future sound shirt wearing chest yeah buddy <laughs> yeah man i i just want to thank you for the opportunity and and this 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 space and these these podcasts you've been doing man i think you're doing incredible work i'm yeah. happy we met i wish we had more time to to kick it in person but i, I really appreciate this conversation and yeah. and yeah a lot to a lot to a lot of what you said resonated with me and yeah just on a closing note i would encourage people to connect you know spread the yeah. word that's really it you know I'm, yeah, hell yeah. I'm, you uh, seem approachable you seem like if someone has a question to ask absolutely you, you'll absolutely. answer it let me ask you one thing i know we're closing but I, and i wanted to bring this up earlier and i'm just going to circle to bit real quick you were doing these programs at the school the last school year has been crazy mm. uh, if you can just uh, i think it'll be equally interesting to folks what did you have to do i know it's probably a, a longer conversation but what did you have to do to pivot continue providing services to your kids and, uh, and how are things kind of changing as we get back to maybe a little bit more normality? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I'll, yeah, I'll try to give like a simple brief. Yeah, I would say the main, the main thing is it's been, yeah, it's been tremendously tough because of how embodied hip hop is and how right. much depends on the rhythms and that interchange and being together in groups. But, you know, there's, there's Zoom, there's ways to connect and still do some of the work. There's this great app, a great app or online site you can use called BandLab. You go to bandlab.com. It's a free music making resource. You can work together with youth or anybody else in real time, creating, tweaking, throwing effects on it. That's been great. It's not the same as having a professional studio at your disposal, but it's a way to continue the work. But I am very, very, very much looking forward for things to get back in person because as yeah. much as this has been a substitute, in a sense, it's been a Band-Aid on a tumor. It's it's just, yeah. it has not been what it what it needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, no one can adapt better than hip hop folk. So I'm sure you did the job that had to be done to make sure that kids were still engaged and the move and the movement and the work was still going forward. Uh, I anticipate you'll do that as we get back to normal and uh, you'll let us know if there's anything we can do to help get the word out about anything you're, you're touching. So, and I I really do want to know more about that whole intensive and and, uh, masterclass uh, you're going to do. So maybe in another month we'll, we'll talk again and, and, you know, a little quickie or just be involved somehow. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Clubhouse is what? Every Wednesday at nine? Is that right? Yeah. Every every Wednesday, nine Eastern. 
And then I've been doing this IG live on Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern as well. Brittany Williams, uh, Michael yeah. Myers. Yeah, Aaron White. Right. So yeah, anybody who, who prefers IG, tune in for those. Very cool. All right, my man. Thank you very much for your time, for your work. I thank appreciate you. all of it. Thank you, man. Right. I appreciate we'll, you. Right on. We'll talk soon, yeah? Yeah, sounds good. Once again, I'm Manny Faces, and I thank you for listening to Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's smartest hip-hop podcast. If you appreciated this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us at ratethispodcast.com slash hip-hop. That's ratethispodcast.com slash hip-hop. Easy to remember and very helpful to the cause. In addition, you can support the show and get some special offers at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Every penny goes into being able to continue this and other work that advocates for the use of hip-hop music and culture to improve society and uplift humanity. Now, this show was created, edited, produced, and hosted by me under my production company, Manny Faces Media, in association with the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy. And fun fact, I also produced the theme song. For more about my projects, including the award-winning social justice podcast, Newsbeat, information about my public speaking, my upcoming event calendar, and more, visit my online home base at mannyfaces.com. For all things Hip Hop Can Save America, visit hiphopcansaveamerica.com. Thank you for listening, sharing, supporting, and showing love. Appreciate y'all. We're out. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com, filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy, be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.